Then on finishing this uh, journey through uh, Grudem's Bible doctrine, and uh, I hope it's been helpful to you. You know, I encounter conversations every once in a while, and I know that people don't always say what they mean or mean what they say, uh, but it, it, it's always a little bit um, funny to me when someone says, you know, I just uh, I want to get on to something else other than all this doctrine. Sometimes we're too theological. And I'm thinking, how can you be too theological? You know, this is, we're theological people. Uh, theology is the study of God. And if you want to grow in your worship and your service to the Lord, you should want to know more about God. And that's what theology does, is help us to know God more, uh, that we might uh, worship Him uh, in a more effective way. Uh, that, 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 you know, because bottom line, the... Um, God has designed us that, that what He does in us enters through the mind. Uh, that He's given us these minds to consider the things that, that He's told us. We're word-centered people. And so studying and, and improving how we know and understand His Scripture uh, gives us better access uh, to God and makes us better, uh, better equipped, I think, to worship Him in spirit and truth. So, you know, sometimes we say things, I think, that maybe point to something else but they're not really helpful in the way we say them so um, I hope that you've benefited from it and that you recognize that benefit as we close in on the end tonight we're talking about a very popular subject and that's final judgment <laughs> everybody likes to talk about judgment right when it pertains to someone else and uh, I ran across this little anecdote from uh, Tim Keller from his book, The Reason for God, and this is what he says. In Christianity, God is both a God of love and of justice. People, Many people struggle with this. They believe that a loving God can't be a judging God. Like most other Christian ministers in our society, I've been asked literally thousands of times, quote, how can a God of love be also a God, of filled, a God filled with wrath and anger? If he is uh, loving and perfect, he should forgive and accept everyone. He shouldn't get angry. I always start my response by pointing out that all loving persons are sometimes filled with wrath, not just despite of, of, but because of their love. If you love a person and you see someone ruining them, even, even if they're doing it themselves, you get angry. As Becky Pippert puts in her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, Think how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might toward strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but his settled opposition to the cancer, which is eating out the insides of the human race he loves and with his whole being. Bible says that God's wrath flows from his love and delight in his creation. He is angry at evil and injustice because it is destroying its peace and integrity. I want to do a little word association as we begin tonight. I want you, first thing that pops into your mind, spit it out if it's, um, if it's acceptable. Language, okay? So I give you a word, you give me a word, okay? First word is crime. Punishment. Punishment. Uh, verdict. Guilty. Guilty. 
just, uh, what was it, uh, Barney told Otis, you were standing naked before me right there? Decision. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, not guilty. <laughs> uh, sentence. Short. Judge. Person. Acquit. What? Free. Free. Judgment. Required. Uh, final judgment. Permanent. That's it. Permanent. Yeah, there you go. Good. That's pretty good. So what is meant by final judgment? We say final judgment. We talk about it in a church context, biblical context. What does that, what does that mean? No recourse. No recourse. The, the, the curtain drops, right? That's the end of the story. Uh, I want to look first in Revelation chapter 20. All of y'all have got uh, verses, and I did you a solid tonight because I typed out the verses for you. You don't even have to look them up. You just have to read them. Now, some of them we're going to read twice, so don't ball them up and throw them in the trash can as soon as you read it. If I call it out, sometimes I may call one that uh, has three verses in it, and then later someone may read a verse out of that same three, okay? But most instances, those will be self-explanatory. So if I call it that way, you will know. Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, Standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Judgment is a, uh, an extensive topic in Scripture. Uh, this is probably the most graphic that we're familiar with. And uh, it's interestingly enough, this hinges to what uh, Paul talked about last week when he was talking about the millennium. Right before this, you have that description about the millennium uh, there and you can have your own opinion as to whether you think that's symbolic uh, or whether you think it's a literal translation that needs to be employed. I really don't care one way or the other. You can opt either one. I thought Paul did a great job of presenting them uh, last week, all your choices. Uh, it's not a, an issue that should divide us. You can make, uh, in fact, I could do Probably I could argue three of the four positions and be content with accepting them. And uh, <clears throat> so, but anyway, you come off of that and we move right into this description of judgment that comes on the heels of that. So let's read some scriptures. Let's see what the uh, God's Word says. Uh, let me call these out so you can get ready. We're going to do Acts 17, 30, and 31 first. Romans 2, verse 5, Matthew 10, 15, Matthew 11, 22, and 24, Matthew 12, 36. 
and 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Okay, so if you have those verses, get ready. Acts 17, 30 and 31. Romans 2 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, impenitent. you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What does impenitent mean? Impenitent. Hard. 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 Hard, unwilling to repent. You know, it's it's uh, impenetrable. You know, doesn't doesn't want to deal with it. Uh, Matthew ten fifteen. Truly I say unto you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Matthew eleven twenty two and twenty four. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Matthew twelve thirty six. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And from Matthew 25, 31 through 46, I didn't give this one to you because it's a lot of verses. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. And I, I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me in. Naked... And you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not, uh, as you did not do it to the, one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And there will go, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. First Corinthians four five. Hebrews 6 2. And of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. 2 Peter 2 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. 
And Jude 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Grudem says in his book that final judgment is the culmination of many precursors in which God rewarded righteousness or punished unrighteousness throughout history. He talked about God bring, bringing blessing or deliverance from danger to those who were faithful, people like Abraham, people like Noah, um, Abel, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and even the faithful people of the nation of Israel. Uh, he also mentioned from time to time that there were um, precursors of judgment that came upon them. What were some of those? You remember? What about the flood? God, God was grieved over the way people were behaving, their attitudes toward Him. And so the flood was judgment, was it not? What about Sodom and Gomorrah? Others? What about another one with Babylon? He dispersed the people, confused their languages and things, because why? They were... Basically, they were designing their own way to try to reach him, to make themselves gods. Uh, and so he, he scrambled their language. He dispersed them. Um, AI was another one. AI? Yeah. What about the, uh, the scorpions? So all of these, I mean, uh, the wilderness, you find several of these uh, encounters where God um, disciplined his people, which is a form of judgment, right? Uh, he did that to cause them to straighten up. He also uh, brought judgment against the Canaanites. When Israel went into the promised land, you know, people, uh, this is one of the, the things you'll get from an agnostic or someone who's not, um, you know, that, that's skeptical when it comes to spiritual things. And they'll say, well, I just can't get on with a God that, you know, would have people destroyed like that. Well, the Canaanites were wicked people. Um, that's pretty evident. The practices they, they were engaged in, uh, they were descendants of, um, which, one, which son of uh, Noah looked on his nakedness? Was it Ham? Ham. Uh, they were descendants of Ham, and so they were cursed. I mean, the judgment was coming. It was just a matter of when. Uh, but again, judgment from God coming. Uh, Would you consider the dispersion in that? I'm sorry? Would you consider the dispersion in the New Testament when the... From Jerusalem? Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, it was a form, I guess, of, uh, of judgment, but... You know, that's, that's really, I would probably, I might probably make a distinction between persecution. Uh, persecution, you know, persecution, God has always used persecution to move Christians, to move the church. 
forward, to move his people forward. Um, it is a form of judgment. I mean, I wouldn't make an absolute clean break from it, but it's a little bit different um, in that he did that to keep them from settling in Jerusalem and for Christianity becoming just Judaism on steroids uh, or Judaism 2.0, you know? Uh, so he got the Christians to move out. Um, you see it everywhere Paul went, you know, everywhere the gospel was proclaimed, you see the same kind of thing. So, um, you know, I wouldn't consider something like Stephen's persecution and death, martyrdom, that wouldn't be... So you can see there's a little, there's some nuances there that I think would be, would be careful with. Um, but Ananias and Sapphira would be careful. Ananias and Sapphira was clearly a judgment. Um, it was a judgment on God's ex expectation for his people. And if God used the same standard for us today, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? I mean, you know, what was, what was the accusation there? It was made, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Simply lying to the Holy Spirit, pretending to be something, having a, a facade between you and God. Basically, they, were, they made a, a deal that, that God, if you, uh, you know, or, or we will sell this property, and because it was a communal action the church was engaged in, bringing common resources together to help support one another, and they wanted to be... You know, they wanted to be somebody in that group, so they would sell this property for a piece of uh, money and bring the money in. But what they did was they sold it for more than they actually gave, but they led everybody to believe that they gave everything they got out of it, or they gave an exorbitant amount. And so they were tinkering around with people and with God, and so they were called on it, and so it was judgment. Crucifixion? Crucifixion definitely is a judgment, right? Not against Jesus against us, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, most of these, this one would be ultimate judgment, not the final judgment, but an ultimate judgment against sin. But all of these were literally shots over the bow, if you could think of them that way, you know? You, you give a warning. God was sending warnings continually that you know I'm not going to be trifled with. I'm not going to be uh, I'm not going to be treated this way by my creation, by my people. Judgment is a serious matter. You sin against me. There's there's going to be um, there's going to be a price to be paid for it. The second coming will be uh, will usher in the final judgment. This is the final one. This is when God said this is when the curtain drops. This is it. You know. Everything is working toward, God is a God that's working toward grace. You know, he's not, he's not uh, thrilled by judgment, but it is a part of his character. He is a just God, so he is bound by his own character to judge that which is sinful. But it's not something that, you know, is thrilling him to do. It's something that he does to protect his own holiness. Millard E. J. Erickson in his Christian theology said this. He said, For those who are apart from Christ and consequently will be judged to be among the unrighteous, this is one of the most frightening prospects regarding the future. For those who are in Christ, however, it is something to look forward to, for it will vindicate their lives. The final judgment is not intended to ascertain our spiritual condition or status, 
for that is already known to God. Rather, it will manifest or make our status public. And that might be disturbing enough, right? When is the time for final judgment? I've already given you the answer. second coming of Christ is going to usher in, it's going to open the door for the final judgment. Now, you can you can tinker around with some of the eschatology we talked about last week and say, okay, does that mean we've got a rapture, we've got a millennium? I don't know. You know, I'm more convinced the longer I've been at this, I told James before we started last week, my views, he was saying, I remember you teaching on Revelation. I said, yeah, my views have changed on some of this since the last time I taught Revelation. But I see this, um, it's, it's really not, the word rapture, it, it's the parousia of Christ, the appearing of Christ who comes and uh, Thessalonians talks about Christ coming and, and, uh, and that believers, dead and the living, will be caught up to meet him in the air and I'm more convinced that that really is just all part of his second coming. There's actually no real interval of time between this catching up of believers and the uh, second coming. That he's on his way coming, he calls those who belong to him to meet him in the air, and then we come as we come together in triumph with him uh, at that time. Now, tribulation, where does that fit? Well, it's got to fit over on this side. We said last week that the idea of having the uh, and I get I get those terminologies mixed up, the pre, the post-millennial coming of Christ, pre-millennial coming. The premillennial coming of Christ doesn't, doesn't really fit because the Bible tells us that things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse until Christ comes again. So the idea of having a millennium reign over here that we're working toward now doesn't fit unless, unless you see it as symbolic. You know, if you adhere to the amillennial camp that says, I don't really believe there's going to be a thousand-year reign that that's a term that kind of characterizes the whole church age. Satan has been crippled by the work Christ did, and the strong man has been bound, and we are you know, seeing people come to Christ during this age until Christ comes a second time to set up his kingdom and, and make a new creation. And that's kind of my simplistic way of looking at it more so these days. But it doesn't really matter. What we have to agree on is that he's coming again, and that he's going to judge. And so the judgment is going to come in conjunction with this. Um, I don't really know what the purpose of the millennium is. I guess that's where I'm struggling with it these days, is I don't really know what the purpose of the millennium is. So it doesn't really matter to me where it fits, you know? Because we're headed toward Christ making all things new, a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, 
anyway. All right, so in my mind, I'm thinking there's going to be a catching up of those who are in Christ. There's a coming of Christ to the earth for the second time. There's going to be a judgment of the unbelievers and believers and then the new creation. Now, how all that works out in sequence, I don't know exactly. Or how much time will be between one event and the other, I don't know exactly. And it's really hard for me to be adamant and say it's got to be this, it's got to be that. You know, 25, 30 years ago, I'd have been a lot more adamant about it. As I've gotten older and dumber, I realize that it's hard to be adamant about some of these things. Because, as you said last week, there are a lot of smart, intelligent, well-meaning, committed people to Christ who have disagreed about this, who have never solved it yet. Um, and it's a secondary issue. It's not really that critical to what we believe. We have to believe Christ is the Son of God. He died for our sin. He resurrected. He ascended into heaven. He's with the Father now seated at His right hand. And He's coming again. And He's going to judge. He's going to judge everything. I agree. That's it, right? <laughs> That's what we agree on. The other things are fun to talk about and people get wrapped up in them. If you spend too much time on eschatology, you really have lost sight, I think, of what we need to be focused on. Uh, rather than thinking about when he's coming back now, we ought to be thinking about who needs to be ready for him coming back. You know? Okay. So, when is the time for the final judgment? It's coming at some point near around when Christ returns, okay? After he returns to earth, he's going to judge. Revelation 20 verses 1 through 10 talks about this leading up and then 11 through 15 talks about the judgment that follows. <clears throat> what is the nature of the final judgment? Well, there are four things here. Christ is going to be the judge. Unbelievers will be judged. Believers will be judged. And angels will be judged. That's what scripture tells us. So we're going to read some more verses. Um, 2 Timothy 4.1, Acts 10.42, John 5.26 and 27, out of the gate. Okay, 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom. Okay, Acts 10.42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God be judged of the living and the dead. Okay, that confirms what we read a moment ago in Acts 17, right? John 5, 26 and 27. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He's a judge. He's going to be the one the one who has given himself as a ransom to reclaim what God has created. So he's, he's earned it. He created us and he has purchased us with his own blood, his own life, and he's going to judge. So he, he has earned the right. Right? Christ will judge. He's going to judge believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers will be judged. Three verses here. Revelation 20, 12. Romans 2, 5 through 7. Revelation 20, 12 and 13. Revelation 20, 12. Right. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. 
fulfills in another book, Judgment, which is a book and a literature of what was written in the book according to what they had done. Romans 2, 5 through 7. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, and God's judgment, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. And Revelation 20, 12 through 13. And I saw and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged of what was written in the books according to what was done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Now, there's an implication there um, that there are going to be degrees of judgment according to what they had done, as each according to what they had done. What that means, I don't know. But it says it more than once in Scripture. <clears throat> All right. Next set of verses, Luke 12, 47, 48, Matthew 11, 22, 24. Luke 20, 47, Matthew 12, 36, Ecclesiastes 12, 14, Luke 12, 47, and 48. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So there's your implication again that there's variance in the degree of punishment. One was, beated, one was beaten severely, one was beaten lightly. Uh, Matthew 11, 22 and 24. Matthew 11, 22 and 24. And I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the Lamb of Sodom than for you. Luke 20, 47. Who devours widows' houses and for a pretense makes long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Greater condemnation. <clears throat> Matthew 12, 36. <clears throat> I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret, secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, this raises a question. Is he talking about everyone? Is he talking about those of us who profess to be in Christ? That's good. That's good. There, there is some controversy here. Some people believe that there's going to be, even for believers, that every sin's going to be aired out. I'm not one of them. I believe that the scripture is also very clear that there's no condemnation, that God casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. Uh, not that God can't or doesn't remember it, but he chooses to, it's covered by the blood of Christ. 
Um, okay, Romans 2, 16. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Luke 8, 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be, be known and come to light. And Luke 12, 2 and 3. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. So, this is about unbelievers. These are people who have not trusted in Christ. They've, they've been willing to try to go with their, themselves, and, and Scripture's very clear here that there is nothing, there's absolutely nothing that they have done or thought in secret, buried it as deep as you want to bury it, that won't be revealed. That's a pretty daunting promise, isn't it? But that's enough right there to make most of us run from judgment, right? Uh, it is me. Um, you know, one of the scariest prospects in the world is that somebody could crawl into your head and know what, what thoughts you've thought, right? Uh, but that's exactly what Scripture tells us. For the unbeliever, for the person who has rejected Christ's grace and said, essentially what you say when you reject Christ's grace is you're saying, I'll stand on my own record. That's essentially what you're saying. Is that I don't need Christ to be my advocate, my mediator. I don't need him to take the heat for me. I'll stand on my own record. And God says, okay, you know what that means, right? That means your whole record. Not the things that you've done or haven't done that have become public already, but every thought you've ever had, every desire you've ever had, every lust that you've ever had, every, every coveting desire that you've had, all these things will be aired out and they'll be on the record. They're on the record. And not compared to somebody else. Not, you're not compared to anybody else. You're compared to God who is holy. I see that happening with conviction and confession when you're saved. So you're going through that process. If you're saved, that's right. If you're saved, you recognize... I can't stand on my own merit. My own merit stinks. Uh, scripture says that my own righteousness is as filthy rags before God. You know, you, if you've done this probably at some point in time, you know, you think you're wearing a, a nice white shirt and you, you go out on a snow-covered morning and you realize that this shirt's dingy, you know, compared to the snow. Uh, and you think about the holiness of God is infinitely brighter, more pure than any white that we can see here. And so we use that kind of as a metaphor to say our righteousness, all the good that we can do is always going to be revealed as dingy, as, as dark and evil in comparison to God. It always is. It's a scary thought again. Um, okay, believers will be judged. Okay with that? Thoughts? Absolutely. It's like consternation. mean the ones that you don't confess before you die? I've heard some people say that it's not the believer's sins that are judged, but their works and actions that they're held accountable for. 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, Paul is writing to Christians in Romans 14, 10 through 12. Who has that one? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us will give an account of himself. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. Romans 2.6-11 He will render, render to each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness there will be wrath and fury there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the Jew first and also the Greek for God shows no partiality so we will appear before the Bema seat of Christ and be judged for what we have done according to our our works. We'll get there in just a second. Um, to receive what is due for the things we have done. And I think it's important to think of this. Um, differently than we're prone to think of. We're prone to think, as Paul just mentioned a minute ago, about how I've done in comparison to Sam or Paul, and, and that's wrong. Uh, we need to think about it like a, uh, a baseball player for the season, he's gonna get X number of at-bats, right? And so his average is, how's he done on the basis of those at-bats? So if a player who sits on the bench more only gets 10 at-bats during the year versus a starter who may get 700 at-bats, how do he do against those 700 versus how did this guy do versus the 10 he got? It's not comparing the two other than how they did with what they were assigned. And so God is going to be looking at us as believers and saying, how have you done with what I've assigned to you, with the opportunity I've put before you, the gifts that I've invested in you? It's kind of like having two sons. One of them's a straight A honor student, one of them is, is maybe not as bright as that son. And he has trouble maybe with some of the just fundamental things that you need him to. You love them both the same. You're going to be as proud of one as you will the other. But they each have a different capability. And so therefore you look at them differently. You judge them according to what they are equipped to do, right? And that's the way scripture lends itself to believe that he's going to do with us as believers we're in Christ and in Christ we have assignments we have gifts we have abilities we have a time frame it's like the parable of the talents right exactly take the thief on the cross that, that gave his heart to Christ right before he died didn't have any opportunities did he he was converted at the last moment before he, he went into eternity so 
there aren't any rewards necessarily for what he's done other than his faith in Christ, a saving faith. That's it. Does it mean he's going to enjoy heaven less? No. You've got to think of it that, that it's going to be a fullness and a contentment. Heaven's going to be, there will be degrees of punishment. I think there will be degrees of reward, obviously. But there won't be this competitive slant that we know in this world. Because everything, if you're one of those shining stars that just knocks it out of the park on everything the Lord's put in front of you, and, and you received all these crowns and these rewards that the Lord gives you, you're not going to consider that something that strokes you. It's something that's for the Lord. Everything's going to be geared for His glory and His honor. And so there will be a fullness and a contentment in just having served well in those areas. Now, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about our uh, works being judged by fire, does he not? And that which is made of hay and stubble and wood will be burned up by the righteous fire. Only the things that are of pure metal, those are the things that will endure. And so I may, you know, I've, I've had dozens of mission trips I've been on. I've preached the gospel to tons of people. I can sit here and feel really good if I'm tempted feel really good about where I am. Lord, it's time for me to sit down and take it easy. You know, I've, I've been ridden hard and put up wet too many times. I'm done. But that's, that's not it. See, I have to look at what was the attitude, what was the heartbeat within me as I was giving myself in those opportunities. What, was I really doing it for the Lord or was I doing it for, you know, my own aggrandizement? You know, uh, am I doing, doing it in some reason to, to gain, you know, applause of people, accolades from people, rather than for the glory of God. And that's going to be the, the fine line that we all need to be considering is that we want what we do for the Lord to truly be for Him and not for ourselves. And it's a hard thing to navigate because we're all programmed in that way, right? We follow after the one who set our nature on this course, that's Satan. His sin was... He idolized himself. I will arise. I will ascend above the Lord. I want to be the one that gets the glory and the worship and those things. Uh, let's see. Revelation 20, verses 12 and 15. We didn't read that one already, did we? Who's got that one? I got 20. Did you just read that one? I got 2012. 12 and 15. I got just 12. Okay. Let me read it. And I saw the great, or the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. <clears throat> I read, I'm not going to read it again, the one from Matthew, the, uh, the parable about the sheep and the goats. <clears throat> but that one's clear. He's rewarding those who receive blessing, judging those uh, goats who are not uh, a part of his flock. The judgment of believers will be an evaluation and bestowal of various degrees of award, not about judgment necessarily, but about how they served um, him. John 5, 24. Yeah. Truly, truly, I say unto you. 
Whosoever hears my word and believes him, who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but passes from death to life. Romans 8, 1. This is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the day of the Lord is when believers are rewarded and unbelievers are punished. Final judgment. Happens at the same time. We don't know. Thereabouts. I mean, you know, it's not going to be simultaneously. I, I don't know which one's going to come first. The Matthew passage seems to say they're generally at the same time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, at the same time after Christ comes back. He's going to come back. Is he going to judge the dead, the un, the unbelievers first, and settle those accounts? Maybe, and then and then there will be uh, the time for rewards for those who are in Christ. That would make sense, but I don't know. Revelation eleven eighteen. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants the prophets and saints, and those who hear your name, both great and both both great and small, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. First uh, Corinthians four five, we already read that once, let's don't read it again. Colossians three twenty five. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Uh, we're talking about the, the words, deeds, and sins that are um, words, deeds, and sins are not to be revealed, as we were talking about a little earlier. Micah seven nineteen. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Uh, you will cast out all of our sins into the depths of the sea. This is talking about those who have put their trust in Him. Uh, Psalm one hundred three twelve. 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43.25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Hebrews 8.12. For I will be merciful toward greater iniquities, and I will remember your sins no more. Hebrews 10.17. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Okay. We make it our aim to please him, but no fear is necessary. We have no condemnation. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Luke nineteen seventeen and 19. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So degrees of reward may vary, but everyone will know fullness and contentment. We said earlier, it's not going to be a competitive or greedy uh, situation. All of it's for God's glory. 
1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. 2 Corinthians 2, 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Jude 6. Now, there's a little bit of controversy here, too, that, that uh, obviously the evil angels are going to be judged. There's some concern because, uh, is it Hebrews, where it talks about uh, we will judge the angels, we'll sit in judgment over the angels. And so some think, you know, does that mean that, that the good angels are going to be judged, too? I, I don't know if, if they're good angels, they've been obedient angels, what would there be to judge? Unless it's some sort of judgment for rewards, I don't know, but I don't know. Um, I, I think that's one that you can take with a grain of salt. Uh, at the very least, the rebellious angels will be judged, but Scripture doesn't necessarily indicate righteous angels will be. Why is the final judgment necessary? Well, believers pass into the presence of God when they die. Unbelievers pass into a state of separation from God and the endurance of punishment when they die. So why does God have this time of judgment at the end? Any thoughts on that? Louis Burkhoff, sorry. Close the book. Close the book. Uh, Louis Burkhoff in his systematic theology says it will serve the purpose rather of displaying before all rational creatures the declarative glory of God in a formal forensic act which magnifies on the one hand his holiness and righteousness and on the other hand his grace and mercy. However, it should be borne in mind that the judgment at the last day will differ from that at the death of each individual in more than one respect. It will not be secret, but public. It will not pertain to the soul only, but also to the body. It will not have reference to a single individual, but to all men. I don't know, you know how to get my mind around it. When you think about all the people that have ever lived, and you know, is it going to be one at a time, and we're all going to be there to watch? I don't know. But I do know this, that it's going to lead to greater praise and glory of God when it's all said and done. The manifestation of His justice that's acted out before us 
and the manifestation of His grace and redemption for those of us who are redeemed is going to serve uh, all of us to praise Him more fully. 1 Peter 1.17 and if you call on him as Father who judges impartially, according to his one seed, conduct yourself in fear throughout the time of the earth time. Romans 2.11 For God shows no partiality. Colossians 3.25 For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Romans 3.19 and we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Anybody have Revelation 19, 1 and 2? I don't think I gave that one anybody. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just, for He has judged the great prostitute who covered corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So the close of the judgment, it's going to lead to a great um, worship of God. Uh, what applications do we make to our lives because of the final judgment? Well, it satisfies our inward sense of a need for justice in the world. It assures us that ultimately God's universe is fair. We hear that all the time, don't we? Well, that's not, that's not fair to think of a God who judges, but when this all plays out, it's going to speak to these issues and will be a resounding acclamation of God's fairness. Uh, it also tells us that God keeps accurate records and, and renders just judgment. Um, in closing, also I would say it gives us a motive for righteous living. Um, does me. I don't know about you. You do a little studying on the judgment of God and it makes you um, think, you know what, I want to live a little bit better, serve a little bit more faithfully. Uh, what about hell? Hell's a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. Um, we've referenced to it several times here. Luke chapter 16 is probably the most, uh, one of the more graphics which Jesus gives the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, we see there a chasm that's in place where once, once death comes and you enter into that, you don't leave. You're there. But you're there fully conscious. Uh, the man lifted up his eyes. He saw Lazarus, the bosom of Abraham, which is a uh, Jewish way of describing heaven. Hell's not popular in our culture today. Uh, and actually, it's not just unbelievers that don't want to talk about it. Most churches don't talk about it anymore. We've, we've totally written it off. Uh, some people have tried to explain it away. Uh, some, like Seventh-day Adventists, uh, advocate for uh, annihilationism, that when you die, you just go away. That's just it. Uh, other people have explained it away or try to explain it away in other ways. And sometimes Christians, well-meaning Christians, will say that it's just a metaphor um, you know, for intense suffering. Well, I don't know about that. I know what Scripture says, and I'm more inclined to lean toward literal translations of the Scripture uh, unless it's very clear that it's meant to be taken symbolically. So, um, we don't have enough time to unpack hell tonight, but um, <laughs> unless y'all want to stay a while. <laughs> uh, 
But hell is, listen, Scripture's clear. Hell was prepared. I can remember years ago going to India and speaking in schools to students, and, and we always talking about that. And the way I described hell is that Scripture does say that it's fire. It's a fire that burns but never burns up. It never, it never totally exhausts whatever it's burning. Uh, so you can you can do the math on that and think about how that would be awful. I uh, when I was in college, I turned over some boiling water on my shoulder one one morning, and I never had anything hurt like that um, at that point or since uh, for days. And uh, they had to pack me in ice that morning just to get it cooled down. You know, your own flesh is burning. That's not a pleasant thing. And I can't imagine, you know, I can't imagine that kind of torment. Unending. You know when that came real to me. You remember the the twin towers. There were people that chose to jump rather yeah. than and be burned fire. up. Yeah, and and that was one that had you know a conclusion. If we're thinking physically anyway, so uh, it's it's very intense. Um, if it's metaphorical, it's intended to let us know just how gruesome it's going to be. It's going to be nobody wants a part of this. You don't want your worst enemy there. You remember the, uh, this rich man when he lifted up his eyes and he, he begged for water. He never begged to be let go. It's interesting. So there's an indication there, an implication in that parable that he knew he belonged there. He knew that this was his destiny, that he'd had opportunities not to be there, that he was, uh, he, he was in his rightful mind. And, uh, but he was worried about his brothers and said, send somebody back to tell them. And what was the response? Even if a man, you know, rises from the dead, which, you know, is an, is an allusion to Christ Himself, and so many people, even when they hear the gospel, you know, they just they just poo poo it. They they toss it away as if it's nothing. They don't take it serious. And I think we do a disservice as Christians in the church when we don't consider the weight of it. Jesus talked about hell quite a bit, uh, so it's very important. And, uh, and not something to be shrugged off um, or laughed at. And we certainly do our share in our, in our world today of just laughing at it. But it won't be a laughing matter then. Questions? Okay, I'm done. Next week.